It's been a while since you've heard from Amy and me. We've been busy adulting, and that's what we're talking about today. This is Adulting Part 2. And this is also going to conclude Season 1. But we will be coming back to you, hopefully in 2022, with a fresh new season, more awesome conversation, great guests that we're going to talk with, and we hope to hear more from you about what you want us to talk about, your two favorite brown girls. Enjoy this episode. Hey, lady. Hey. Oh, can't hear you. You can't hear me? Now I can hear you. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> How's it going? It's going. How are you? You know, it's going. It's going. Doing stuff. Making it happen. Chugging, up, chugging along. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, adulting. <laughs> <laughs> so last time it was crap and now it's vomit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one end or the other, it's still the same. Uh, that's funny. Uh, how's the long, hot summer? You know, I feel like it's the armpit of the year. I don't know how else to describe it. There's four planets in retrograde. That's what I read. That feels right. It's uh, Jupiter. Wait, hang on. Jupiter, Saturn, mm-hmm. Neptune, and all the Pluto. outer planets. Yeah, all the outer planets. Yeah. Most of that has to do with kind of things that are beyond our control. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the feeling of just sitting there and waiting to see what's going to happen to you. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It does feel that way. It does feel like there are a lot of outside forces. But the beauty of that is that you, if you don't have any control, maybe you shouldn't worry about it too much. Oh, I like starting off on that hopeful note. Yeah. I think what's that saying? If there's something, if there's something that you can do about it, you'll do it. And if there isn't, then there's no sense in worrying about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something like that. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> it sounds very wise. It sounds like <laughs> an old, an old proverb. Which means I stole it. Because <laughs> that's where all my wisdom comes from. Thievery. That's right. From the elders. Just thievery. Well, we had so many... Uh, things come from our adulting topic that we couldn't cover it in one conversation in one episode. Yes. So we did adulting 101. Now that now we've graduated to 201. <laughs> God. Um, and actually this talks directly to what you were just saying. So one of one of our listeners wrote to us and said, I did not know how to talk to people as a young adult and the importance of empathy. You learn as you grow that everyone is going through something and it's important to tread lightly. Yeah, that's a good one. Empathy and just, I think it gets back to like, things are not always, it's it's that rear view mirror things. Mm -hmm. Objects are close and they appear, but you don't always know what's going on. You don't always know what's beneath the surface. And it's very easy to judge a book by its cover. And so just like people don't always know what's going on underneath the surface in our lives. And if we assume that they know, we can really get our feelings hurt. But having empathy and just- you know, even taking the time, like I, I've definitely been in that situation where I've noticed that somebody seems a little bit off at work and I've just asked, Hey, is everything okay? Right. And then it's amazing how somebody will 
open up and say, actually, I'm going through this. And it gives you that opportunity to reach out. Yeah, that's not an easy thing to learn early on. Um, I think our, our social structure isn't really equipped for it, especially when you're growing up, you know, like school is not kind place to learn empathy. That's the environment where you're like, please don't leave me behind. Let me do what everyone else is doing so that, you know, I'm not outcasted. And sometimes that means you check your empathy at the door, right? I think we're getting maybe a more of a picture into it now, probably because in part, uh, social media gives you a door inside people's minds and people's lives in a way that you never would have had, you know, before. Someone you don't know that well can write something so, you know, beautiful about whatever garbage they're going through. And then you're reading it and you're like, oh, I did not know that that was going on in that person's life. That might explain why they were acting this way or that way. And, you know, I... I'm one of those people who I don't really feel like everyone is owed an explanation as to why you are showing up the way you're showing up. I think the, the counter of that is you were saying like not assuming to know the full story. Mm -hmm. If you approach everything with like, okay, well, I don't know everything going on with that person. Maybe I didn't like the way they showed up, but Oh God, I forget where I heard this, but the idea of what someone thinks of me or how they feel about me is none of my business. Mm -hmm. When I started adapting that idea into my life, it's like so much, I was able to let go of so much attachment to things. And it actually helped my empathy grow Mm -hmm. because I wasn't trying to get something out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. You know, I think a lot of times people, every, every human being has, has the mechanism of empathy available to them. And I think some people use on the opposite extreme, they, they use it like a, it's a crutch, you know, it becomes, it becomes like this barrier. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I hear this all the time. Like once we learned empathy and, and once we learned that we have the ability to be really deeply empathic. It became an excuse. People stopped managing their emotions and then it became, oh, I'm just so empathic. I can't, you know, handle blah, blah, blah. And then it became this this question of like, what about boundaries? Whose responsibility is it to employ boundaries? Mm-hmm. Is it the other person's responsibility to recognize that, oh, you have this deep sensitivity. So now they have to make sure that they're enforcing boundaries to keep you safe. That's not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it, empathy and not assuming and boundaries, they all kind of work together hand in hand. And that's, mm-hmm. and I will admit like, that's a lesson I learned the hard way because every one of those people I was just describing, I've been every one of those people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's part of the, it's part of the growing up process. You know, you feel your wounds and then you feel them so deeply and ex, ex, you know, extremely that you have to shout it out. So it's everyone's business. And does it really matter that everyone knows that? Maybe not so much, 
What matters is, do you know that about yourself? And do you know how to manage your boundaries Mm -hmm. and enforce them? Yeah. And that's really tough. That's really tough, especially with people that you love. Yeah. You know, it's very, very true. Totally. So (laughs) I don't know if that answered. (laughs) I think it did. I think it did because I think a lot of times people think of empathy as sympathy yeah. And they think that's like, oh, I feel sorry for this person. I can feel sorry for that person. And that's not at all what it is. And empathy is really like creating space for the other person to show up fully yeah. and to not intrude into that space and force your image and your opinions and your thoughts onto them, but to allow them to be. And when you create that space for somebody, then that allows a new space to emerge. But when you know, you're going through a crisis and you feel like no one's listening to you or seeing you or providing that space, it can be very hard to do that alone. And so empathy is really, um, it's really important, but it's also a hard emotion, especially for people who are, I mean, and I, I'm a very empathetic person. I'm a deeply empathetic person, but I also am a problem solver. And so I go into problem solving mode too, because I feel those feelings so deeply. I can feel what the other person is feeling. I can pick up on their energy And so it's like creating those boundaries for myself so that I don't take that person's stuff on is really important. Asking permission to like, this is something I've only recently started doing, just kind of asking the question like, Hey, how, how do you want me to show up for you Mm -hmm. right now? That's a really good question. You know, what, what do you need right now? Do you need someone who's just going to listen or are you open to maybe hearing some possible strategies or solutions to your situation? That's it's language. It's, it's a lot of, a lot of benefit comes from expanding and developing your language. All this stuff I learned pretty late, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's helpful. It's really, really helpful. Yeah, it really, really is. While speaking kind of on a similar topic, uh, another comment slash question every day. I feel like I'm failing as an adult. I wish I had been to a psychologist as a child and learned more about the effects of trauma and mental health issues that I'm just now being exposed to in my mid thirties. Um, it is interesting. I think, you know, in this kind of day and age, I do feel like it's much more acceptable for people to be like, Oh, I'm sending my child to a child psychologist. And that seems much more like the nouveau thing to do, but definitely like our generation going, growing up, if you went to a psychologist, like there is something really wrong with you, (laughs) but the realization is like a lot of times the diagnosis is adjustment disorder, right? Which is just like there you're going through a period of transition right. you're struggling with adjusting right you need some support while transitioning who doesn't need that who doesn't have adjustment disorder that's what i'd like to know well you know and then you i'm, I'm thinking back to when i first when i first went to therapy the the very first appointment i ever had i think it was maybe i think i was 26 years old and i decided to go because i hit a wall and i i felt like I didn't have the tools I needed to get through it. And I Mm -hmm. felt like I didn't have anyone in my peer circle who had like, you know, the nugget of wisdom Mm -hmm. that that was going to help me get to the other side. Right. So when I was at that therapy appointment, you know, one of the things I found out was a lot of therapists don't take insurance because in order for them to file 
you know, with insurance, they have to diagnose you with something. And most people who go to therapy or who are seeking out therapy are really just going because they need to talk. They need to talk something out. There's not necessarily like a a disorder. They're trying to work work something out and, and figure something out. So I think that's a big barrier to why a lot of people don't go to therapy mm-hmm. because, you know, to find a really good therapist who's not taking insurance, mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay out of pocket, right? So right. there's a financial barrier to it. And then also, like you were saying, you know, it there's sort of a cultural, there can be a really significant cultural barrier. Yeah. And I do agree, like if, you know, and I don't even know if it was that I needed therapy as a kid, but it would have been nice to have had more adults who had had therapy so that they could help me. Right. You know, like as an, you and I are both adults who have gone through the therapeutic process and we have the language and we have the skills now where like if a child came to us with an issue or trauma or crisis, we would know how to handle it in the moment. We would know not to shame the child, not to isolate the child, not to blame the child, right? Mm -hmm. This is not language or, or stuff that our parents had because they didn't go through that process. They didn't go through, it was just toughen up or suck it up or stop being so sensitive. Or, you know, if you keep dwelling on it, it's going to keep bothering you. I grew up hearing that a lot, a lot. Don't, don't think about it. Just, just move on, you know, just press on, keep going. And then you do that, you live your life that way. And then all your stuff comes back. Because you're just packing it all in a backpack that you're carrying around with you. And by the time you realize that you've probably been making decisions informed by that trauma for years and formed habits based on it. And then you have to start unpacking it in therapy. And the good news is you don't have to be that person. You can decide at any time to release. And and I really do feel that it is so much of an unfolding, like deciding this habit was formed by some past belief that was formed by this trauma as a child. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to carry this around with me anymore. And yeah. maybe it was a belief about your self-worth or maybe it's a belief about your intelligence, you know, and you can decide at any time to put that down. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have those moments where you're going to react that way, but you can learn to manage it differently. So, yeah, I do feel like the stigma around mental health issues has been changing. Thank you, Prince Harry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Oprah. but you know seriously in all seriousness I think we're we're trying to break those generational you know traumas yeah and it's a lot of work and we're the generation that's doing it so you know anytime you're looking or seeking out balance right that pendulum has to swing really far sometimes in the other direction and I see that too where you know you want to spare children from anything involved with the growing up process. And it's like so hard. Yeah. It's like, you know, picking and choosing what is going to be traumatic for a person. Mm-hmm. You, you can't know that there's some really obvious things, right? There's some really obvious recognizable things that we know will 
create and cause trauma. But there are some things that we can't know are going to create trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, like the way you perceive someone speaking to you, they may not think they're being traumatic or causing you any kind of grief. And then years later, Mm -hmm. that sort of situation or circumstance Mm -hmm. has created a pattern inside you, like a pathway in your mind that leads you straight to a bad place. It's right? true. And then so you unpack, true. yeah, and you can unpack it with them later. And they may not even see how that happened. And it's like, does that make them a bad person? You know, because you were negatively impacted? Who, where does the responsibility fall? So it's very complex. Mm-hmm. And I do see a lot of, you know, parents now who they won't use no, like they won't say no. you know so it's like figuring out what balance looks like is really tough you know you can only do the best that you can do Mm -hmm. yeah speaking of the growing up this was this one was kind of interesting another listener wrote in I was raised in the church and my parents were behavior based in their discipline and that I was just given a long list of don't do this don't do that but there was no explanation as to why and I was given no free choice This kept me from growing as an individual and understanding myself fully. I can see now that my parents were not emotionally intelligent and likely did not have those skills themselves and were unwilling to understand those dynamics and couldn't teach me. But I wish I'd learned better boundaries uh, because there was no respect for that. It's led to a lot of problems for me in forming relationships as an adult. This kind of gets back to um, what we were saying earlier. I think we need to define this because I think people look at boundaries in so many different ways. I know some people think of those, and this was my belief when I first started um, really diving into learning about boundaries a few years ago. I thought boundary boundaries were bad because a boundary meant I'm keeping you out. I'm it's shutting the door. Right, yeah. a wall. And I didn't like that idea because I, again, am a, a loving and caring person and I want to create more room for people. And over the years reading like Glennon Doyle, Brene Brown, you know, some of these really brilliant women and just going through therapy, recognizing that, oh my gosh, boundaries, healthy boundaries are actually necessary to have healthy relationships. Sure. And what it means is understanding what is okay and what is not okay in the way that you're treated, in the way that you're talked to, um, understanding that for yourself. And it doesn't mean, like you said before, like, where does the blame lie? And is it with this person or that person? Like who does it make somebody a bad person because they say something and not necessarily, right. It may be that somebody comes up against a boundary, like they're speaking to you in a certain way that Mm -hmm. for you is offensive. And it's just a matter of saying, you don't say, Oh, you're a terrible person. You broke my boundary. It's like, right. you, You can say, you can reproach that completely differently and just say, Hey, just want to make sure that I understand what it is that you're communicating. Because for me, this conversation is uncomfortable because the story that this, what this is telling me right now is that this is how I feel. Like, this is what you're saying. Is that how you mean to come across? Yeah. And just, getting clarification. Yeah. yeah. And if that person does mean that and they're genuinely saying something offensive, then it's okay to decide at some point, like, either there's certain topics you can't talk with this person about. And I certainly have people in my life where there are topics that I just don't broach or 
it may be that that relationship is not a, a relationship that you want to keep in your life. If, if that person is cons- consistently um, right. crossing your boundaries. Right. You know, kind of getting back to the original comment, I remember feeling, feeling that way. I got a lot of do's and don'ts growing up and looking back, I understand why my parents didn't go into the whys and the hows. And a lot of it was because they were exhausted and (laughs) it is mentally exhausting to kind of uh, cultivate the perfect, you know, the perfect arena to explain things in a way that, you know, you feel good about. Right. So sometimes it's just easier to say, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Make sure you always do this. Right. And you'll understand when you're older. Right. (laughs) Right. Because I got expediency. Yeah. Like it'll make more sense later. Like I got a lot of that growing up. And thankfully for them, I was a pretty, for the most part, obedient child. Yeah. Like I have friends who have kids and they get so caught up in the explanation of stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I see that other side of it too. And I'm just like, there, at some point there has to be moderation. There has to be an end. Yeah. There there has to be a, I'm, I'm the parent. Yeah. You are the child. This is the (laughs) dynamic that we, I'm not your friend. Right. Right. So there, there has to be that too. But I, I definitely think like you, you know, your own child, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, what level of comprehension they have access to. Yeah. It could be a very simple explanation you offer them. Right. But what that does is it gives them the ability to trust that you'll always be someone they can ask. Can you, can you tell me more about this or, or Mm -hmm. why? And it doesn't create fear Mm -hmm. that that is something I wish I had growing up. I wish I had been able to feel comfortable going to my parents and saying, without you freaking out and thinking I'm going to go do drugs and like (laughs) bone every person in the world. Can you explain this to me? Yeah, You know, it has to be terrifying to be a parent. It is. It just has to be terrifying. If you open it up, then you wonder maybe like, oh, now that I've opened up this dialogue, will this child now think that they have access mm-hmm. to everything within this dialogue? So I can understand why, you know, <laughs> parents make some of the choices they make. It's unfortunate. It yeah. sucks. And I it is. It. Yeah. And I, I definitely can relate to what you're saying about your parents. I mean, in terms of empathy, I mean, it is tough. Like when you're working a full-time job, and you're having to, you know, you're waking up and you're taking care of the kid and then you're coming back from work and you're having to take care of the kid. And let's say that child goes through something at school that day and you've got to process it with, you know, I remember when my stepson would come home from school and there was um, like, there had been a little scuffle on the playground and he was talking about the kid that was the bully, you know, Mm -hmm. and he'd be really upset. And so you want to use that as a teachable moment uh, not just be like, don't be like that bad kid, Yeah. <laughs> but like, what do we learn from this? How do you feel? Right. What do you think about children who, who use their, like, I would always say hands are used for helping and healing, not hurting, you yeah. know, what do we use our hands for? So, you know, there's, there's, but it can be hard 
especially when you're tired and go taking that extra time to to explain it but some right. children are like but why but what about this <laughs> but what about that and certainly yeah. my, my stepson has those qualities right. so it's tough <laughs> yeah it's, it's tough. not easy it's it's really not easy and it's so gosh I spent a lot of time in high like looking back yeah. at how I was raised and you know, sometimes feeling frustrated that some of the things I needed didn't show up for me when mm-hmm. I needed them, you know? And it was th- th- those things that I, that I wanted, like now I'm older, I understand why they didn't show up. And like, I have a lot of compassion for my parents, for, you know, what they were able to do for, for my brother and I, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's so hard. There are some parents who I see who do it, like who take the time and they're made for it. Like Mm -hmm. they have, they've done all the work on themselves or they have the, the background and the disposition to Mm -hmm. handle it. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful Mm -hmm. to witness, but it is not fair to expect every parent to be able (laughs) to do that. Sometimes it's a lot. lot. You sometimes you're just like, we'll talk about it when you're 25, (laughs) go do your homework, get out of here. (laughs) That's right. That's right throw a shoe. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yes. Throw the shoe. (laughs) Uh, I thought this one was good. A listener wrote in and said, it would have been nice to have learned more about being confident and trusting in my dreams, even if it's not like a typical path. Yeah. And I think that's, I think there's more acceptance of that now because there's there's more of this like, okay, you don't go to a company and work there for 30 years anymore and get your pension and go off into the sunset. Like that's not a realistic paradigm and the world has changed. And so people, life is all about transitions and how you make those transitions. And you can change careers multiple times. You can go back to school when you're older. Um, You can, you, you know, there's people, I know somebody who decided to pursue their law degree in their late thirties and become a a lawyer going into her forties. And I think that's great. I think that's amazing because you know, you're, you're never fully formed, even, even what you see from like these interviews of people when they're in their eighties and nineties, like they still feel young inside and their regrets are really about not pursuing the things that they really felt passionate about, not believing in themselves, not surrounding them by people that believed in them. And so I think we owe it to ourselves to pursue those things. If it's something that we keep coming back to now, of course, look, if you can't hold a tune, but you want to be a singer, (laughs) maybe you just need to stick to karaoke night. (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, and, and same thing, like with writing, like writing is a punishing sort of field. You have to be willing to sit there, put your butt in the chair and, and spend hours writing. And if you can't do that, then that's probably not the career for you. So there, but you doesn't mean you can't do it as a hobby. So you have to kind of know And that can be totally fine because your day job doesn't have to be your dream. You can have a day job that you work. I remember a mentor told me this when I was younger and he said, work your job and then go home, Sultana. You know, don't make your job your entire life because it may not give back to you and love you back the way that your family can or your friends can. And so 
just remember if you're going through a hard time at work, it's a job, you are getting paid for this. Okay. That is your compensation. And so don't take it so seriously that it possesses your thoughts and consumes you. And, and that was really good advice for me because I did take it very seriously when I was young and I've had to learn to create more boundaries and mm-hmm. balance work-life balance where like, yeah, I used to take my laptop home every single night and I would get back on my laptop when I got home and I would work easily. I mean, on the low end, 50 hours a week on the high end, there were weeks I was working 60, 70 hours. And that was normal for me, but realized as I got older, like that was not sustainable. Right. And that didn't make me happy either. And so I had to find those boundaries. I mean, I think it is important to follow your passions, but you got to be able to pay the bills. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, kind of going back to, to balance. Sometimes you have to just know how much you have to tread on one path before you can build up enough momentum where you Mm -hmm. can jump on the other. And it, it kind of is this sort of jumping back and forth between both, you know, like I always used to call my job, my jobby job. And then, <laughs> I, you know, cause I, I have side hustles yeah. and my side hustles were always connected to whatever I was passionate about. Yeah. So my side hustle is usually how I identified myself. And then my jobby job is what paid for the light bill. So that. that's so good. You know, and that was something that I learned to do in my late twenties, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was pretty miserable in my career. I wasn't really doing anything that made me happy. I was doing things that fulfilled a need mm-hmm. and there's no shame in that. Like, I don't always think that you can have it all at the same time. Yeah. That's right. True. So, and that's okay. There is a time and a place for, you know, living your passions. And there's a time and a place for hustling to make those passions happen. You know, you kind of just, you know, run both tracks and jump back and forth, you know, as is comfortable. Yeah. But that's super relatable. Like I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure everyone has that thought at some point in their day, like, oh, why didn't I become a Broadway actress? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's because my parents moved us out of Long Island. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. So somebody wrote, I wish someone had told me the truth about marriage, what it really was. Hmm. What is it? That's. What was the truth about marriage for this person? Now I want to know. I know. I know. Like (laughs) everyone has a different truth. So I don't think it's one size fits all, but. I think that's it, that it's not one size fits all. I think there's, there's so much in movies and in fairy tales. It's like you go off into the sunset and then you're happily ever after, or, you know, you only see the superficial parts, but I think the reality is that marriage takes work. It takes a lot of work and it is its own, it's its own circle in the many sort of circles that you have in your life. Like you've got your, your, your work, you may be going to school, you have, you know, friendship, whatever. And marriage is there, but it's touching everything else on the plate. Like it has to touch everything else on the plate in some kind of way, because it requires, this is a person you're choosing to spend your life with. So you have to communicate, you have to share, you have to have an openness and a, you have to talk about your approach to things. It doesn't mean you agree all the time that you don't need to agree, but you do need to find out how to disagree respectfully and respect each other's boundaries. 
it's a it's a partnership right and you don't have to be married to have that kind of depth of partnership but it's a prioritized partnership in your life and if you choose to call your partner you know your spouse that does place a huge priority on that relationship and mm-hmm. you know it's a choice every day this is what i know about marriage and i have not been married very long but I obviously have seen a lot of marriages amongst my friends and Mm -hmm. and family. And, you know, I've, I've studied as a outsider, what I think is important in it and everything that I've learned thus far points to it being a choice you make every single day. That's right. When you wake up to choose that person, Mm -hmm. whether you love them like crazy that day or you're annoyed out of your Mm -hmm. mind that day Mm -hmm. or you know whatever it is you have to wake up every day and and make the choice to commit what marriage is not is a guaranteed feeling that you're going to have every day for the rest of your life that's right and that's where the work comes in it's it's not this helmet you put on where it's like all of a sudden it converts every thought, emotion, and feeling (laughs) inside your body to completely orient towards this other person. It's not that. Yeah. It's a choice you have to make every day. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that one person can't fulfill every need that you have. And I think that that's part of it is that there's this expectation. There's this huge buildup for like a wedding, you know, engagement, wedding, all of these big steps and there's a lot of celebration around these steps, but then you don't see what's happening behind the walls in between or what comes afterward. And there's not always that level of support that you would receive for the wedding, for the, the, for the childbirth. There's not that level of support that's there. And there's not enough people that talk openly about oh, yes, there was infidelity in my marriage. Here's how we handled it. Here's how we got through that. That's a very uncommon story. But the reality, this is the reality of life. People grow apart. They come back together. Yeah. People have issues because life happens. And just like we started, there's these external forces outside of our control. So it's like, sometimes the two of you are not on the same page, but it's like, can you find a way to come back together, but it's also recognizing, am I putting too much on this one person to meet all of my needs? I was listening to Jay Shetty, who I I really enjoy listening to him, but he was talking about the four types of trust that we get from relationships in our lives. And this is all relationships, including romantic. And the four types of trust are competence, care, now I'm forgetting the others. (laughs) Now now I'm showing my age. It's uh, competence, it's care, it's consistency. And what was the other one? It'll come to me, but competence is like somebody that always has like really good information. Like they're an expert on some kind of thing. And so you come to them because they're just, they're very competent or highly technical. Care is somebody that just is always caring and you know that they're going to show up. This is like a mother's love, right? Or a parent parental love. They're just going to be there no matter what. And they're going to, sh- they're going to be caring about your well-being. Another one is character, which is like somebody that's like high integrity. 
So this is somebody that's high integrity. So you know they have like really strong moral compass, really strong values, aligned values. So you go to them for advice. You know they're going to give you good solid advice. And the other one is consistency. This may be somebody that you don't see eye to eye at all on. You may have completely different religions, completely different political affiliations, but that person is a consistent part of your life that no matter what, you know they're going to be there for you, even if you've drifted far apart. So I thought that was really interesting because what he was talking about is, look, I go to my mom for care, but I'm not going to go to her for competent. Like, I'm not going to go yeah. to her and say, give me career advice, mom, and be mad at her that she's not giving sure. me advice in my career. Cause she just wants me to be happy, but I'm going to go to a mentor for yeah. that competence. And, and you have to get different needs net by, by different people. But when it comes yeah. to our partners, we sometimes expect a lot and right. it's just unfair to them. Just like it would be unfair to us if that was being expected of us. Sure. You know, and there are people who are matched up where they do get a large majority of their needs met by their partners, Mm -hmm. right? There are those people and that's like an anomaly. Lucky ducks. It's an anomaly. It's not, it's the exception. It's Mm -hmm. not the rule. And marriage is often presented as though that is the rule. That's right. And that, that may be the truth of what, (laughs) <laughs> you know, that may be the truth of marriage is that right. you're not going to get every single need met by one person. Right. But you do have one person where you can talk about all of your needs right. and negotiate how those needs get met. Right. My husband and I were friends for over a decade before we became what we are now. And at that part of our relationship, I filled the friend bucket, you know, like (laughs) all the stuff that you get from your friends, like we would get from each other. And then when the relationship evolved into something different, then we weren't really able to do that for each other in the same way because it had taken on a different role. So it evolved into something different and and that was okay. That was normal. Like we paid attention to it. We're like, wow, this is interesting. This is, this is transitioning. And what does that mean for us? And where do we, you know, fulfill that need outside now? You know, how, how does that, how does that happen? And a lot of people may not have, God, what's the word I'm looking for? It it sometimes feels like the expectation that you're going to get it all from one person. It becomes a failure if you can't. Right. It feels, it feels like you failed at something. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Or there becomes a possessiveness Mm -hmm. that shows up where it's like, what do you mean you need to go hang out with your friends? Like, Mm -hmm. aren't I enough for you? Or what do you mean? What do you mean you have a friendship with your ex, your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend? And you're, what, what is that? You know, like things don't always have to mean what you think they mean, you know, like Every, every relationship has to be treated like it's its own entity, not that it's this sort of stereotypical definition that you would find in a book. Because the truth of your relationship is just the truth of the relationship between you and the person you're in the relationship with. That's exactly it's, right. It's not based on something you saw <laughs> in your family or your friends or on television or in a book or in a therapist's office. It's yeah. whatever you want it to be with the person you're with. 
I know I didn't understand that early on that like when I was getting advice from people, I was not realizing that it was up to me and the other person to formulate what we wanted it to be. We didn't even know that. Heck, sure. we didn't know. And we had bad paradigms that were influencing us. Yeah. So, you know, and then when you're getting advice that really is not aligned with your values, and then you kind of have to step back and be like, wait, do I want that relationship? Yeah. I don't want that relationship. So why am I taking advice from this person? You have to really distinguish that. It's, it is really tough. It's not one size fits all. Like mm-hmm. there are so many different kinds of relationships available. And that's because there are so many different kinds of people. That's right. And, you know, you take any two ingredients and you put them together and they're going to taste totally different than another set of two ingredients that are put together. And yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. It's so true. We also got some advice from our listeners on the adulting experience that I, I thought might be helpful to share. One of them was we were talking about this earlier. It's okay to change careers a million times. Change is hard and it can be painful. And if it feels easy, then it's not real change. Mm. So that was, I thought that was very encouraging because, you know, I mean, obviously a million is not realistic, but <laughs> but the point, <laughs> the point is that like, sometimes we get stuck and we're yeah. really miserable and we're not realizing, like, sometimes it is just the workplace we're in, but in some cases you're just like not in the right job and the work that you're doing is not fulfilling. And if, and it doesn't mean that we all have to do tedious work, right? We all have things that we have to do in our jobs that we don't particularly love. And so you have to do those things and you can also find ways to make that work more enjoyable. But if you're genuinely like, there is something else that I want to be doing, then make a plan and figure out how you can get to that thing. Is it that you need more schooling? Do you need to find a mentor? Do you need to move to a different city? Like I relocated myself because I recognized there was a ceiling that I hit in Florida and I needed to move to another area to really be able to fulfill my career goals. And, you know, my career has flourished since I moved a decade ago. And that was one of the best decisions I could have made for myself, but that was really hard. It was really hard to leave my friends and family. It was really hard to move to a new place where I had to find a new doctor, a new dentist, figure out how to use the the subway, you know, like all of these things were tough, but yeah, so worth it. And then there was another piece of advice kind of related to this. It's important to have a mentor, particularly in your field. They can help guide you and keep you from making immature mistakes in your life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all benefit from, from having someone who has more experience in something that we want to gain experience in. That's right. Right. You can't do it alone. And if, and if you do it alone, then you have no idea what you have prevented yourself from accessing by, by consulting someone smarter than you, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a wonderful thing when you can be surrounded by people who are smarter than you, who are willing to help you become smart. Yeah. And it, it is humbling and it, it's almost amazing to recognize how, I'm speaking for myself, how dumb I can still be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes, yeah. sometimes I will have a, a plan in my head and then I'll bounce it off of someone who I consider a mentor. And then afterwards I'll be like, wow, 
I still have the capacity to be a complete idiot. That is amazing. <laughs> it's it's nice. It's like I could I'm learning. I'm still learning even now. And and then you apply it and then yeah, it's it's great. It's humbling. It's it helps you be better all the time. Yeah, I always like to say if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find another room. Yeah. I really believe that and I that's why I like working with really smart people, you know, because I'm always learning something new and mm-hmm. it keeps the variety, but you know, mentorship is huge to me. I wouldn't be here without the mentors that I have had. I mean, mm-hmm. I was actually talking with somebody just the other day about like my passion for management and how I really wanted to become a manager because I had a great manager when I was 19, 20 years old who made a profound difference in my life, gave me counsel and advice and demonstrated a lot of care and integrity in the management style that really put me on a better path and helped me just see my life differently. And it showed me the value of a good manager. And so I wanted to be able to give that back later on. And so, you know, I became, I went into management, you know, earlier on in my career and for a few years, I wasn't a manager and then I, but my goal is to get back to it. And so that's a huge part of my, my day job, my jobby job <laughs> <laughs> is, is managing a team of people that I feel like leadership is service. I want to serve their goals. I want to help them grow as people. And I spend that extra time talking through that. Cause I can't, manager is not about saying yes to everything. I mean, somebody can want a promotion. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but it doesn't mean you're a terrible manager. If you can't give it to them, some, sometimes your job is helping prepare them for whatever their next job may be. And it may not be at your organization. So it's sounds a lot like parenting. Yes, it does. (laughs) Yes, it does. What do you mean? You can't tell me why. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough. Let me tell you, being a manager, especially in a, you know, bigger organization, it's not easy, but it's, it is rewarding in that, you know, you can make a profound difference in somebody's life. But I think mentors are totally underrated. And I think in mid-career, there's not as many mentors available. Like there tend to be more mentors when you're early in your career, but Mm mid-career it's where you kind of hit a ceiling or a a valley or a trough. Right. (laughs) And you're like, what's happening here. (laughs) But you know, like when you're like, I really need a a mentor. I feel like I've hit a ceiling and there's not as many of those mentors available. And I think that that's, that's something that we have to remind ourselves, like even on our thirties and forties, we still need mentors. Yeah. So I'll get those random calls on weekends or tax, you know, in the middle of the week from somebody that worked for me years ago or whatever, asking me for career advice or life advice. And I'm always available in that way because I just think about what was given to me. Got to pay it forward. Definitely. But yeah, if you don't have somebody like that in your life, then then get the someone, yes. get the a mentor. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so as we close out our adulting 201, any final words of wisdom, Amy? With everything we've discussed in the last two episodes, I just really want to emphasize that there's nothing, we have said nothing about why you can't have Oreos or Cheetos for dinner. (laughs) You're an adult. You can make those decisions. That's right. And that's really where I want to leave this. Cheetos and Oreos for dinner. 
There's nothing wrong with that, guys. Adulting at its finest. <laughs> Road trip food for dinner. Hey, you're going somewhere in life. Why not? That's right. Oh, the places you can go. 